0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. The passage starts out saying, and as Jesus passed on from there, and you say, passed on from where? Jesus is leaving Jairus' house where he just healed and raised Jairus' daughter. Jairus' house is in Capernaum. And so he's leaving Jairus' house, and it doesn't say where he's going. Uh, the The following verses give no real indication where he was going immediately. He may have been going to Peter's house or Matthew's house. He may have been going all the way to Bethany, to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. He is going somewhere, and the large crowd has been following him for the last couple of chapters... Are following, and as he's going along, there are two blind men. Now, blind men back then did not work. There were no services for them, and so they were begging. They were begging near something where people would be, and they heard Jesus, they heard perhaps him talking, perhaps the crowd mentioning his name, and they said, Have mercy on us son of David. Now it says that they were blind. And if you look at the history of how blindness is occurring, back in the time of Jesus, especially in the Middle East, blindness was the most common non-fatal malady. You would get it and you get it today. And even today in third world countries, in poor countries, when missionaries go there, they will find uh, a great number of blind children, and that is because unsanitary conditions where there is bacteria and stuff in the water, that can cause blindness. You can have infections. In the Middle East, you have blowing sand and sandstone. You get sand in your eyes, and it can, in fact, blind you. There are accidents when kids are playing that would cause blindness. War has all sorts of weapons, whether it be chemicals or very bright flashes of light that can cause people to be blind. Malnutrition, we have figured out, is a cause of blindness in the world and excessive heat. If you're hanging out in a sand country where it's 100 degrees all the time, that can get you dehydrated. If you are dehydrated there is a chance that you will go blind and so blindness was common even in Jesus's day if you look at all of the healings that Jesus did all the categories of that Jesus did like paralysis and death and things like this he healed more blind people than any other category of malady and the idea is it was so pervasive that wherever Jesus went there were blind people and Jesus healed these two blind people and so we're going to look at how they did it and what they did. Jesus is moving along and they, they've they never seen Jesus of course. They're blind. We do not know if they're blind from birth but they're blind in such a way that They've decided to hang out, even today if you have a particular symptom or malady, there are communities, that there are you know, schools for the deaf and there are places for the blind and today we, we congregate those sorts of people together and back then they did, if nothing oh, the reason. It is camaraderie that these two blind people could talk about, you know, what did you hear and what did you taste and things of this nature because they were blind, and so they hear Jesus, and they, they hear the crowd. We do not know how they figured out it was Jesus, but Jesus is moving down well-traveled roads. One great thing about the time that Jesus was born and the New Testament was written was that the Romans had conquered the world, and the Romans loved one thing, and that was roads. The Roman may made roads everywhere, and so Jesus could get on a main thoroughfare, a stone road, and go pretty much anywhere in New Testament land that he wanted. And so these two blind men would station themselves where there is a good to be a crowd near a market, perhaps. Uh, There's evidence in the New Testament that uh, blind people would hang out near the temple because people who are going to the temple would be uh, have a generosity in mind and they would give alms to the blind people near the temple. Jesus is not near the temple here. He's way far north. And so they are somewhere in Capernaum and they see him and they start, they get up and they start following the noise, not being able to see And they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this is the first time in the Gospels where Jesus is called son of David. And you go, huh, what does that mean? Well, you got to go into the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, even back with uh, Adam and Eve, but mostly with Abraham, God took Abraham up to a mountain and said, look at this land, the whole Middle East. And said that this is going to be where your descendants are going to be. And out of this shall come a savior for the world. And that is the first statement to the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so Abraham had Isaac. And Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And God chose Jacob. Changed his name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of those sons was Judah. Out of Judah, God said, because of some things the older sons did out of Judah, the kingly line would come. And so you had, you had Saul, was the first king, and then you had David, and David was a man after God's own heart. David, God liked David, and God, David liked God. And so they got along well. And God made a promise to David as he was establishing his throne. He said, for all eternity, all eternity, someone will sit on your throne of the lineage of David. And so through that, your ancient Jewish scholars read that and said, aha, this means Messiah is going to be a descendant of David, is going to be a descendant such that... He can sit on the dynasty line of David's throne. And so from that and from a couple psalms and a couple of minor prophets and they put it all together, the term son of David means Messiah, means promised one of God, means the Christ, means the anointed one of God. It is a synonym, if you will, for Messiah. They could have said, have mercy on us, Messiah. They could have said, have mercy on us, Son of God. But they're using a phrase that if the people in the crowd were to pause and listen to what the blind people were saying, they would understand that the blind people were calling Jesus the promised Messiah of God. Okay? So at this point, they understand his position. They may not understand his power fully. They may not understand his deity fully, but they understand his position. They understand what he stands for. They understand that way back in the Old Testament, he was talked about. Somehow they got this knowledge. We don't know about their education level. Perhaps even as blind people, they were able to ...sit outside of a rabbi school and hear these things. Uh, Somehow they got this knowledge and they believed it. They believed that Jesus Christ was the chosen one, the Messiah of God. They also said, have mercy on us. Mercy is undeserved. They could have said if they were modern people today... ...Lord, give us justice because that's what people are calling today... Justice is deserved and people who want, who demand justice misunderstand their position of themselves versus God. The only thing I deserve from God because I am a sinful, broken, rebellious human being is eternal judgment in hell. And so if I am saying, please give me justice to you know, a court system that's different. If I say, give me justice from God, he'll say, okay, and he'll smite me because that is, you know, justice from God. And so they also understood their position. They understood who they were as sinful humanity and who Jesus is as, at the least, the representative of God on earth but also they may have had an understanding that he is God incarnate. That isn't fully developed until you get to the letters of Paul, but they may have had an inkling that this person at least had the power of God in them. And so they asked for mercy. And, of course, what are they asking for in mercy? They want to see. And that is kind of implied. It becomes clear later on. But they are asking Jesus to have mercy, to do merciful things to them. And they follow him. And they follow him however far he went. Now Jesus wasn't going hundreds of miles. He was probably going as far as he could walk in a day with hundreds of people around him and slowing him down. But he gets to a house. And we do not know which house and he gets to a house, and he goes in, and the two blind men push their way in into the house, and they do not let, it isn't clear how they did it, but pushing and being pushy and bullying people out of the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that is how you do it. You have hundreds of people And other people are probably, uh, you know, your group is made up of people who have been healed themselves, and so Jesus is their hero, and they want to hear what he has to say. They want wisdom from the person who healed them. You also have people who either themselves uh, have sickness or symptoms, or they bring somebody else along with them who perhaps can't walk. And so you have all sorts of people pushing to be around Jesus, and then you get to this little doorway into this one-room house, and Jesus, you know, gets his way in, and everybody's trying to push around and get near Jesus. Now, you're not going to get hundreds of people into the one-room house that Jesus has just gotten into, and so people have to push and jostle and get position, and however they did it, these two blind men actually get into the house, and they are so forward that they actually get right next to Jesus. Now, they're probably zeroing in on his voice. They cannot see him, but they get to where it seems that they are close to Jesus, And then Jesus at this point, now Jesus up to this point, for the many miles he has walked, they're shouting. It says in verse 27, crying aloud. The word for crying aloud means shouting, means insistent speaking, means with a loud voice, shouting at Jesus, Jesus have mercy on us. And so, Up to this point, Jesus has ignored them. And you may say, well, Jesus perhaps didn't know they were there. Well, of course he did. Jesus knew about the woman who touched him. Jesus knows about anybody that bumps into him or that is around. Jesus picks people out of the crowd all the time to do something with them. And so he knew, he really honestly knew that there were two blind men that had joined the crowd... In Capernaum and that they were wanting something from him he knew their names he knew how old they were he knew how long they had been blind he knew what caused their blindness remember every healing is presented as a healing of symptoms but there's a root cause here we do not know if if they had a sickness which caused blindness We do not know if there was some sort of eye damage during a sandstorm, perhaps, that caused them to be blind. But Jesus knew that. Jesus understands fully about these people. He understands fully about every single one of the hundreds of people that are following him. He knows their histories, he knows why they're there, he knows their motives. And one thing as you look at this and how Jesus treats them when they're in the house, it's possible that Jesus ignoring them could be seen as as a test of motives, a test of their faith. He talks about faith once they get into the house and Jesus and Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers talk about God testing our faith to grow our faith, that he wants these two blind people to be at a position of faith, of strong faith, to move things along. And so Jesus, they bump into Jesus and they know they're really close. And so Jesus says, do you believe I am able to do this? Now, if you were there and you saw these two blind men follow Jesus for the last three miles... You would already understand that of course they believed he could do it elsewhere I mean they weren't just you know throwing it against the wall to see what would stick they, they, they zeroed in on the Son of David they zeroed in on Jesus Christ they believed he could do it and so Jesus says, "Do you believe I am able to do this What is Jesus after Jesus wants a verbal, out loud, confession of faith. Okay? Jesus doesn't always want that. The woman who touched him and the power came out, he didn't really press her for an outward statement of faith. Jairus' father, Jairus, the father of the daughter, he kind of presses him for faith when he says, don't fear, only believe. So he talks to some people about their faith. Other people he does not. A demon-possessed people he never has a faith conversation with. He probably knows that it would be pointless because the demon is speaking. But here he wants them to have an out loud confession in front of Jesus and in front of all the people who are watching. Sometimes Jesus will bring us to a place where we need to say something out loud in front of other people. Sometimes Jesus will bring us to a place where it is just you and him, okay? There is no formula. People have tried. People have gone through all the Gospels and said, this is how Jesus heals, and it's different every time, okay? So there's no formula. Why Jesus did it? He did it because he wanted them to, they needed this, Okay, Jesus doesn't need to hear them say anything. He knows their heart backwards and forwards. But they need to say it because Jesus is building their faith here, because Jesus is bringing them to a place of physical healing and spiritual salvation. He wants their faith to be exposed. So he says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So, yes, you are able to do it. And they call him Lord, which is another indication that they had a real sense of his deity. Back in Jesus' day, the word Lord is something that was only it was used very sparingly. You didn't tell the, the milkman on the corner. You didn't say, say, hey, hey, Lord. Okay. Now if the king, King Herod, If King Herod comes by, you would say, Lord, because King Herod is a king, you can call a king Lord, okay? When you're in the temple or the synagogue and you're using some of the Old Testament prayers and scripture reading, they call God the Father Lord, okay? So they knew enough. About who Jesus is, and they may have grown since when they first saw, uh, when they first experienced him. Now that they're in the presence, perhaps their faith skyrocketed and they call him Lord, which has a sense of understanding the, the majesty, the deity of who Jesus is. Then Jesus touched their eyes, and you say, but Jesus doesn't always touch their eyes. Jesus in all the blindness that Jesus heals he doesn't do the same thing. He made mud in one case and had the person watch, wash. He spoke and blind Bartimaeus was able to see these he touched And if you say, well what did he have to do that? No, he did not have to do that. Didn't even have to be here. I mean he could be in Galilee and heal somebody in Capernaum, okay? But he touched them and people see that as kind of a compassion that they they don't know what Jesus is doing, they're blind. And so Jesus touches them, they now know because they feel it that he is doing something, that he is that close and that he is doing something and says, according to your faith, be it done to you. Now this is not a... Degree statement. It is not saying you have a small amount of faith so I'll heal you a little bit. You have a large amount of faith so I'll heal you a large amount. It is more uh, as people talk about a light switch or it's binary. You have any faith, I'll give you healing. Okay? Is basically what he's saying. That they had some faith. Doesn't say how much. And Jesus fully healed them and it says and your eyes were opened now it is there is a there's idioms there are figures of speech in ancient Hebrew language and there is a phrase in Hebrew which is eyes were opened or open your eyes that is used and has been used for hundreds of years before this by rabbis and teachers, that if a rabbi is up there and teaching about a certain, you know, battle of Jericho, something like that, and they're talking about Jericho and and what God did in Jericho, and, and, and you open your eyes and you go, aha, I get it. You now understand that it was God that destroyed Jericho. Joshua may have fit the battle of Jericho, but it was God that knocked down the walls, okay? And when you get that and you have an understanding of the workings of the battle of Jericho and, and what God did in knocking down the walls and what that means and why he did it and what uh, Joshua did and all this kind of stuff, they, the, uh, you know, the, the rabbis would then go to their rabbi meeting and they would say, oh yeah, and there was this person here today, and their eyes were opened. And the other rabbis would mean, mean, understand that to mean they gained an understanding. They gained a, a mastery of a truth that is in the Bible. And so this probably means they could now see, but they had spiritual understanding they could not only physically see, but pretty much every commentator I read said, this means that they're saved. This means that you're going to wander around heaven and you're going to find two blind people who can see. And you can talk to them about this story. You can talk to them about what they were doing and how they felt and all that, because they're going to be in heaven. Because Jesus not only opened their eyes, but he saved them. Okay? Okay? Then after this miracle, okay, and the eyes were, it was complete and instant. There was no recuperation. They didn't have to wear dark glasses because, you know, their pupils were dilated and all this type of stuff. All the stuff that is involved in why they were blind was completely and totally and absolutely instantly healed. And they not only had physical sight, They had spiritual understanding. Now, only in a couple times did Jesus do this next thing. Here it is the strongest language. It says, Jesus sternly warned them. That means he scolded them. That means he might have raised his voice a little bit, telling them to not tell anybody. And they went away and spread his fame throughout all the districts. Now, this is... Interesting because Jesus gave them a commandment and they disobeyed. So they sinned right in the presence of Jesus. That Jesus said, Go left and they went right. Jesus said, Go up and they went down. They did the exact opposite of what Jesus said. And so it's a sin. They had sinned right in the presence of Jesus. And I read. I read all sorts of stuff. I read people who went even way back to the first commentators around 100 A.D., very close to Jesus' life, people like Polycarp and very ancient people. Nobody holds them accountable for this sin. Nobody says they need to be punished for this sin. Now, if they're truly, honestly saved which I believe they are, then Christ is about to die for all their sins, past, present, and future. So even the sin that's right in front of them, but it is understood that this is a sin that came out of gratitude, that came out of joy. They told the story of Jesus because they wanted people to know about Jesus. They told the story of Jesus Because Jesus is the son of David, Lord of lords. They told the story about Jesus because he not only gave them sight, but he saved them. And so pretty much everybody gives them a pass on that sin. It's just we need to be very careful. If Jesus ever tells you something specific as you read through scripture and you say, I'm going to do the opposite. You need to understand that it's a sin that God does tell them things for a reason. Why did he tell them to not tell anybody? Uh, There's disagreement on that. The, The general consensus is if everybody was promoting Jesus, then he would be made king and he wouldn't get crucified. That he was on a path toward crucifixion in his time in his way he gives up his life nobody takes it and that it has happened when Jesus fed the 5000 they wanted to rush him and make him king cuz hey free food but Jesus did not Jesus doesn't want to be king Jesus didn't come to overthrow the romans Jesus didn't come to dethroned King Herod. Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. If Jesus was made king, then these two blind men who can now see are not saved from anything. Jesus had to die on the cross for the salvation of these people and for us. And Jesus needs to warn people that if he is Made king, if he is made, you know, Lord of all on earth, that salvation will not come. And so these blind people did everything in their power. Everything. They pushed, they shoved, they shouted, they followed, they did everything they could to follow Jesus. And one thing that we can take from this is that as people today are blind about the things of Jesus, is that we, if we have a little bit of blindness here or there, we need to do everything in our power to follow Jesus. We need to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. We need to tell people to get out of my way. I'm following Jesus. And The the importance and the value, even before they could see of who Jesus is, drove them to get to you know avoid all obstacles, just go over, under, around to get into the presence of Jesus, and Jesus rewarded them by giving them uh giving them sight. The world is a world of blindness today and we need to do everything we can to show them Jesus and show them the value of Jesus so that they will get that hunger, so that they will get that drive to walk away from everything to get to Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for this day. We praise you for all that you are doing in our lives. I pray that you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make following Christ our primary goal, make following Christ our primary focus, make following Christ more important than anything we could own, anything we could do, any title we could have, any position we could have. Cause us to understand that if necessary, we give up everything for the cause of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for being our Lord and Master, and we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.